Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This week on Wealth Track, despite rising interest rates, Western Asset Management's Robert Amadeo says municipal bonds can still provide a safe haven for investors. His reasons are next on Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, a leg mason company, Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective. Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences, and the Fairholme Foundation. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. We live in an era of debt explosion. In a late cycle economy with interest rates rising, it is not a good mix. Take a look at this chart showing the enormous increase in debt issued in the U.S. bond market since 1980, and in particular how much U.S. government debt, mortgage-related debt, and corporate debt has expanded in the last decade. A big exception is the municipal bond market, where bond issuance has remained relatively flat. Well, why have state and local governments and various municipal agencies not participated in this national leveraging binge? And what does it mean for municipal bond investors? It's an important question for individuals because municipalities and their agencies provide most of our public services and individual investors continue to own the lion's share of these tax-exempt bonds. 42% by recent estimates, followed by mutual funds at 18%, U.S. chartered depository institutions, i.e. banks, own 14 percent, and insurance companies are the next largest owners, with property casualty companies holding 9 percent and life insurance companies owning a little over 5 percent. This week's guest is Robert Amadeo, head of municipals at Western Asset Management, where he oversees $23 billion worth of assets. They include the flagship Western Asset Managed Municipal Fund, which Amadeo joined as co-portfolio manager in 2007. The fund is rated four-star by Morningstar and has earned its bronze medalist analyst rating. I started the interview by asking Amadeo why municipal debt hasn't soared while just about everyone else's has. So I I think there's a misunderstanding of the primary purpose of municipal bond to public finance. And the primary purpose is to finance the infrastructure of the United States. It's not necessarily to finance the operations of any particular government. So with that, and as we all know, we have not invested in our infrastructure around the United States. In addition to that, we're just coming out of the Great Recession. So there's a lot of uh, pressure still in the in the fiscal side of the equation. There's low financial flexibility. There's little appetite to embark on these large-scale spending programs. So there's a combination of reasons why you've seen a level amount of public finance debt outstanding. That's so interesting because I always assume, for instance, I'm looking at the demographics mm-hmm. and I, you know, we hear the headlines of all of these underfunded pensions. Sure. So how does that get paid for? 
Well, in some cases, it may not get paid for, right? There, there is some serious troubles in the pension system. Right. However, I don't, want to, I don't want to go as far as saying there's a crisis. Now, there are pockets of weakness, and there's, very, there's, there's serious pockets of strength. When you look at the level of indebtedness out in the public finance marketplace, pensions can be fully funded or poorly funded, but look at the broadest set of metrics. Look at the amount of debt that's outstanding, which has been relatively stable, as mm-hmm. we talked about. Mm-hmm. Look at the Medicaid. Look at other post-employment benefits. A variety of factors. Don't focus just on pensions or level of indebtedness. And just for the sake of trivia, I'll throw out some, some numbers. Mm-hmm. States pay, on average, $0.07 cents back on every dollar, meaning when they collect a dollar in tax revenue. They only pay seven cents in, in, in for debt service. Oh, That's not that much. That now, isn't that now much. Now, it's somewhat surprising. I mean, most people would think, oh, my gosh, it's more than that, a lot of debt outstanding. No, it's not. But is that because interest rates are so low? And what happens as interest rates go up? So if interest rates go up, the cost of borrowing will go higher for, right. for municipal authorities. Now, thankfully, tax exemption remained even after tax reform. And so they'll still benefit from that favorable cost of financing because mm-hmm. municipal debt will cost less. On average, if you look over long periods of time, you know, three, four decades, it's five to seven cents. When you start seeing financial stress in those areas like Illinois, Connecticut, New Jersey, and so forth, right. those numbers march up pretty high. And, and in some cases, when you combine debt and pensions, you know, there's a significant number of tax dollars that are going to pay those fixed expenses. If you combine, say, Medicaid, which is a large expense, and in some states actually exceeds education, other post-employment benefits, which are health care premiums and other premiums for other, you know, life insurance and so mm-hmm. forth, um, you know, pensions and debt, on average is about 31 cents. Now, when you move That's up... That's a big difference. It's, it's a big right. number. It's a very big number. So you can look at debt and not be too worried. It's seven cents. But then when you combine all of these other fixed charges, it marches pretty high, 31 cents. Some states actually at 50 cents on every dollar has to go to pay for these fixed expenses. Wow. And that's where a value manager like ourselves at Western, we're going to be able to differentiate and not just focus on pension problems or strengths versus weaknesses or, you know, level of indebtedness, but look at a broad mosaic. Are there, are there credits that, uh, as a, as a potential municipal bond investor that I should seriously consider as kind of core holdings as far as a general obligation issuer? There are a number of them. There's yeah. so many municipal authorities, municipal governments, state, local governments. That, that are, are in just, great shape? They're in great shape. They're, they're Economically, they're well diversified. The median household income is above average. Level of indebtedness is pretty good. Uh, the demographics, people actually moving into the area. The crime rate, people overlook the crime rate, but that's a very important element to our investment process. So wow. there's a number of, of, of areas. Now, to, so Texas, so give me so, some states. Yeah, so, so to generalize, the economic power in the United States is moving from the north-northeast right. down to the south, southeast, and west. And that's where the economic power is moving. Demographics are more favorable, so you're getting a more dynamic workforce. They're expanding their economies. They're diversifying away from those traditional manufacturing and assembly plants and and oil, oil oil-related industries, agricultural. They're moving into information services, technology, science, technology, engineering, Mm -hmm. and math. So that's where the economic power is moving, south, southeast, and west. And that's where the better credits, you'll find the better credits. Not to say that the states up in the northern part of the United States aren't in great shape. Right. You know, there, there, there's certainly positive stories out there. New York is, is a fine example, but it's surrounded by some very you know, deep pockets of weakness. You know, Connecticut, I mean, New, Connecticut, New, what, New Jersey, Jersey, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Illinois. Right. I mean, these are serious pockets of weakness that you have to have the ability to conduct credit surveillance. You have to look to the, all the different parts 
of their economy, the sources of revenue, the uses of revenue, the financial flexibility, how they're going to rebuild their economy, how they're going to compete. States compete with one another. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. what there's a misunderstanding in the marketplace where in, in the private sector, it's always one company versus another. You know, who's coming out with the best product? Who's gaining market share? Well, states are sort of in the same business of market share. Might be a little slower pattern. Might, you know, obviously, public finance is that slow-moving train. It takes time for good policy or bad policy to take root and then, and then show what, whether it is good or bad. But you know what? They are competing against one another. So and it's they, a dynamic, it's a much more dynamic marketplace than most of us realize, right? Yes, yeah. yes. And we conduct not only return attribution on our portfolios, mm-hmm. but on the governments. And mm-hmm. so we can tell you that if a government is diversified or a local economy or state economy is diversified in a particular manner, then we look at, well, how is that behaving versus the rest of the United States? Are they poorly managed or well-managed? And you'd be surprised the information that will come out of a study like that. Right. Rob, as, as we, you know, we've this, got this incredibly long uh, economic recovery, as we get to the end stages of mm-hmm. it, you've got to be thinking ahead of, like, what happens in a recession. Sure. So recession is not our call at the moment. We, right. we think that the sound economy is likely to continue. Moderate inflation is... Is, is our outlook in the for short a couple of years? Yeah, or, for a short and intermediate right. term. Um, we don't really foresee a lot of disequilibrium in the system that will drive us toward a recession in the short term. You know, I think the, the asset class, municipal bonds, is a safe haven asset class. And, and we've seen this in, in past cycles where the prediction of wild um, uh, a scale of, of defaults, of potential defaults, and the fiscal imbalance. There's a few things that people should understand. Is one is it's the safe haven asset class, and you know obviously uh, among among debt uh, issuers among debt issuers. Right. And the reason for, and the justification behind that is look at the default rate. It's less than one half of one percent, and that includes the Great Recession and all of the other recessions, boom bust, all the different types of cycles. And that includes Puerto Rico. That includes Puerto Rico. Okay. And we can get to Puerto Rico. We will get to Puerto if, Rico. If you want to go right. to that, that dark side of the uh, municipal <laughs> bond market, we can get there. Uh, but, you know, even including Puerto Rico, the, the default rates in the municipal bond market are extraordinarily low. And, okay. and, and then you compare them to other sectors, which are low today, but still much higher than where municipal bonds are. Mm-hmm. So that as a backdrop. We're not overly concerned about a sizable amount of defaults, but we are concerned about the fiscal imbalance, poor management, inability to embark on these investments in your own economy to continue to spark, in, you know, obviously growth in your economic development and attract the demographics to compete with other parts of the economy. You have to look to the mark to market in, in, in the, uh, uh, the municipal bond. And, you know, where we are today in the mature stages of the business cycle, mm-hmm. Let the good times roll, right? Even Illinois is in the positive headlines now. Oh, you, really? you, and so there's a great success there. They arrived at a budget, and it's a balanced budget. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think investors looked at that and said, okay, at least they're moving in the right direction. And, uh, but there's still some sizable hurdles there. But given where we are in the business cycle and the interest rate cycle, which rates are still relatively low, even though they have marched higher over the last right. year, year and a half. And, and that's affected the municipal bond market as it has every other aspect. That's of the, right. That's of the right. Municipal bonds are taking their cue from U.S. Treasuries and the pressures right. in the U.S. Treasury market has spilled over into the municipal bond market. 
But the point we're getting to is the fundamentals in the municipal bond market are sound. Mm -hmm. And you really be hard pressed to find another time frame when they were just as good as they are today. Oh, really? So uh-huh. there is no fundamental justification for selling municipals in today's marketplace because the credit profiles are strong. However, within the municipal bond market, investors, there, there are really two parts to demand that could drive relative valuations. Mm-hmm. One is the fundamentals, which we're saying are sound and likely remain sound given the strength in the labor and the market and the broader domestic economy, but the technicals in the market, the balance between supply and demand. So you have talk to be, about that. So, so you have to be very, you have to be watchful of that because. Right. And, and, and with each market, you've got to look at the supply and demand and factors. And especially in, in municipal bonds, because when you look at municipal bond investors, there's all types of investors, households, mutual funds, institutions, which include corporations, banks, so forth, global investors now. And households are still, I, I, you the gave me a charter, factor. like the dominant factor, the dominant 40% factor. plus, yes, right? Yes, they are going to drive demand. And with that, although each story is unique and uh, each investor is unique, they all look the same when you look at them from a risk profile. They want low volatility. They want return of principal, not return on principal yes. necessarily. It's the ballast with, within their fixed income portfolio or even a broader investment strategy. So what happens is very often when you see high volatility and negative price action, that mm-hmm. kind of feeds on itself because investors become a little worried. And given that they're risk averse, predominantly risk averse, they take a, a step back and then they sell a bit into it and then that feeds on itself. The flip side is true on a positive side. The complacency sort of sets in where low volatility, price appreciation, kind of drives a bit more demand than perhaps, and that's where a value investor like ourselves at Weston's going to step in. Mm -hmm. We're going to step in and sell securities into markets that we feel that are overvalued, given the fundamentals. Or we'll step in like we are doing today and, and buying more risk into our portfolios because we think that because of the poor technicals or the imbalance between supply and demand, that given stable fundamentals, Cheaper yields, higher yield ratios, wider credit spreads. For a value investor, that's when you want to add risk to your portfolio. So have you seen investors stepping back, actually selling some unis? Yes. Yeah. Um, and because of they're afraid, they're assuming that rising interest rates are going to mean lower bond prices, and therefore they want to reduce their exposure to municipal bonds and probably any bonds. For yeah, that I think there's, there's some uncertainty right. broadly in the marketplace. Some of it might be what's happening in the treasury market and the, and the rising rate environment there, spilling mm-hmm. over into... The municipal bond market, which is a relative value market, is going to take its guide or its cue from treasuries. But ultimately, it's the fundamentals in a market that will drive valuations. But then in the the interim, uh, what you'll see is that the technicals will certainly drive mark-to-market in valuations. And I, I think that's the marketplace that we're in today. It's more of a technical market not necessarily a fundamental concern. There was an assumption with the, with the tax reform bill mm. that munis would be less attractive, except it was a, a mixed bag. But you're saying actually the net-net was actually a positive for municipal bonds. Can you explain why? Sure. So at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of questions being asked. How is my municipal bond portfolio going to be impacted by tax reform? Right. And our view then and still today is that it's a net benefit to municipal bond investors. And there's a few reasons for that. One is the tax exemption was left unchanged. So tax-exempt income, and I'm doing this about 30 years now, mm-hmm. you'd be hard-pressed to find another time when there's a serious budget battle going on or major tax reform negotiations ongoing where tax exemption wasn't in the, the crosshairs table. or on right. the table for negotiations, whether they cap it or eliminate it. It wasn't the case this time. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is municipal bonds, the primary purpose is to finance the infrastructure of the United States. And we all knew, know that 
municipal bonds provide favorable financing for infrastructure. So they left that unchanged. Right, because of course that was the goal, which, as it's, you said, has not has not materialized. Been met, right. No. So another factor would be the reduction or elimination of advanced refunding, and that will reduce the amount of supply in the municipal bond market up to maybe $100 billion less than supply each year. And remind me what the advanced refunding was. Sure. So it's taking out the older, higher-cost debt and replacing it with new, lower-cost debt. Now, there are fiscal implications there. Obviously, you can't take out, like, think of it in your home mortgage, where you can refinance it and reduce your mortgage payment. Municipal authorities can no longer do that. Ah. So there might be long-term ramifications, but in the short term, it's fine. Uh, another fa- so it reduces supply in a marketplace, right. which is a net positive. Another factor is the SALT provisions, the state and local tax provisions, and other provisions in the tax reform, which caps or eliminates deductions. Yes, that mortgage makes, interest deductions sure, that in makes Connecticut, New York. And, right, right, right. So that makes municipal income just more valuable. Yes. Because there's less ways to shield income from taxes. However... Uh, away from those positive factors, you do have to pause and say, what are the negatives? And there is, there is a, a slight negative that came out of the reform. So far, it has not impacted the marketplace. And that is, you reduce the corporate tax rate from 35 to 21%. Right. That reduces the value of tax-free income. Now, and of course, in fact, a lot of corporations did invest in municipal bonds, yeah, right? And, and thankfully, they still do. So okay. the, the demand in, in large part remains intact for property and casualty insurance companies and other corporations. However, we have seen banks, which are large investors in municipal bonds, Mm -hmm. sell their municipal bond portfolios. That's a direct result of tax reform and a change in some of the accounting rules for uh, premium amortization. So a combination of change in the accounting rules along with tax reform is leading banks to sell their municipal bonds. Thankfully, and up till recently, there's been a healthy balance between supply and demand with a drop in new issue supply through the elimination of advanced refunding, the strong demand from retail investors, the stable demand from institutional investors. It's clearly offset some of the selling that we've seen in the secondary market from banks. Puerto Rico. It's a fascinating subject. And it's one that will be studied for generations in public finance. Think about how long this has been going on, really since 2012, and then even before that, because the debt was being heaped into the system well before that. Right, but and, and, it was the lo- and Puerto Rico is or was the largest issuer of municipal debt. It was one the- of the largest. Yeah. So the most populous states generally are the largest right. issuers. It, is, it has about 70-odd billion in, in debt outstanding, and on top of that, it has about 30 billion in pension obligations. So their obligations combined exceed the size of their economy, and that's not a good situation. No. Unsustainable. No surprise, it is a distressed debt situation, which means almost all of the debt in Puerto Rico is not paying coupon, it's mm-hmm. not paying principal, and now both sides, the island government with the oversight of the PROMESA board, which is a board that was set up by the U.S. Congress to help negotiate through these difficult uh, problems, uh, the bondholders and the island's government and other government agencies are now negotiating actively, trying to arrive at a conclusion. If you're an investor in Puerto Rico, you need to be a distressed debt trader, distressed debt firm. You have to have a special skill set to work within imperfect information, probably without a lot of information, and the information that you have is misleading Mm -hmm. or stale, years old. Then you have to assume what your recovery rate will be. The recovery rate will be based on, if you have a million dollars worth of bonds, the island's government's going to propose whether they take that million back from you and replace it with a half a million, three quarters of a million, whatever number it they... It'll be a discount. Yeah. Then, in addition to that exchange rate, 
the marketplace will price your exchange, the bonds that you exchange into at a price. Right. So your recovery rate is you know, in the distance. First, you have to negotiate a settlement. Then it has to be approved by some court. Then there's you know, further lawsuits. And then the exchange rate versus the recovery rate is a very complicated situation. To oversimplify that complex landscape, it's secured debt versus unsecured debt. Mm-hmm. And the secured debt, ironically, is not the general obligation debt. It's the revenue bonds, right. the bonds that are backed by sales tax or the electric power sales or the PRASA, which is the water and sewer bonds. It's not the general obligation bonds. And so far, the marketplace is taking the view, as if you look at the prices in the current marketplace, is taking the view, and this is consistent with our view over the years, that revenue bonds that have a specific revenue stream tied to repay that debt essentially are, uh, can be a safer credit than a senior yet unsecured general, general obligation debt. And for a long time, you, it, you were just, we are avoiding Puerto Rico. That's we're right. Not. That's right. So we, we were active in Puerto Rico for a time. And then, right. you know, at some point, we just realized that this situation is, is just untenable. Uh, it was lower lows and lower highs. So you try to trade that. Um, and at some point, we just realized that, you know, let's just let this thing bottom out. And then we'll come back into it and play it from the bottom. Right. So from an investment point of view now, what, what, where are the opportunities in the municipal bond market? Again, speaking as, a, as value investors are you, as you are. You have to be active. There's, there's, this marketplace is, is not filled with this acceptance of indiscriminate acceptance of risk. You, mm-hmm. just, you, you have to know what, you, what you're buying. And you know, for us, we're liking the transportation-related sectors. Um, to a degree, we're still active, but we have less exposure to healthcare. We think there's some positives there. The, the fundamentals are improving. And again, healthcare hospitals that issue tax-exempt bonds. Yes, not-for-profit healthcare, uh, right. uh, obligated groups, national organizations that, that, that operate in the not-for-profit sector. And the transportation, what, what kinds of issuers are those? All types. Uh-huh. Airports, bridges, tunnels, mass okay. transit systems, all types of, of transportation, transportation-related projects. So we, right now, our, our portfolios are overweight transportation-related projects, single mm-hmm. A to a smaller degree, triple B, still active and below investment grade. But our view is that if you look at the technicals in the marketplace, a lot of cash has fo- found its way into the below investment grade municipal bond arena. It's right. a very small marketplace, and that capital has been chasing, in our opinion, too few investment opportunities. A lot of capital has been chasing the same, if not similar, opportunities. And from our view... Those prices have been, I think, pushed or stretched a little bit too far, even given a stable fundamental backdrop. We think that the valuations were a little too rich in making them a little bit more vulnerable to a downturn. So we're active, but more selective in the below investment grade arena. Uh, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, what should we all own some of? So I, I, I really like the idea of a type of security. And one of those is it's a floating rate municipal bond. Mm-hmm. And with that, it comes with, as we talk about the strong fundamentals in the municipal bond market, a floating rate security has all of the credit profiles and credit metrics attached to it that, that other just traditional fixed income municipal bonds have. So it has a credit profile. And if the credit deteriorates, the value of the bond will deteriorate and vice versa. If the credit appreciates in value, in value is because the credit's approving. So right. you have that potential benefit. And if you pick the right credit, you can benefit from that. But more importantly, I think most investors look at bonds, say interest rates are rising, therefore my bonds are going to depreciate in value. 
Here, a floating rate security actually may appreciate in value if a rising rate mm-hmm. environment materializes. So these floaters have longer maturities, 5, 10, maybe even 30 years, so they have a lot of spread duration or sensitivity to changes in credit profiles. But from a rate risk perspective, they actually benefit from a rising rate or a flatter, rate, a flatter curve environment. And with that, I think tactically or even you know, if you want to have a modest um, a part of your portfolio and sort of a tactical defensive mm-hmm. position where you're going to garner a disproportionate amount of income that's available in a broader market, but allow yourself to appreciate should the Fed continue to tighten. I like the floating rate securities. And are there a lot of them? I mean, is, are there, is there a good selection of floating rate municipal yes. bonds? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's across a range of, of types of projects, transportation, general obligation, healthcare, so forth. Yes. Great. So, Robert Amadeus, such a treat to have oh, you on Wealthrick again. It's a pleasure. It's mine. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. At the close of every wealth check, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is consider adding a short maturity municipal bond fund to your portfolio. As Rob Amadeo just told us, the tax-free attributes of munis are still very attractive for upper income investors. Bonds maturing in five years or less are less sensitive to interest rate changes than longer dated ones, and they offer more flexibility to reinvest at higher interest rates as they mature. Morningstar analyst recently recommended some funds in its Muni National Short category to ease interest rate jitters. Two have earned analyst rating medals. One is the gold-rated T. Rowe Price's tax-free short-to-intermediate bond fund, which avoids leverage and more risky bonds and relies on solid sector allocation and its muni team to find pockets of value in the market. The other is silver-rated Vanguard Limited Term Tax-Exempt Municipal Bond Fund, which favors more higher-quality bonds and offers much lower fees than most of its category. Cutting taxes and expenses make a big difference in any environment. The ability to adjust to rising rates is an essential feature for this one. Well, next week, we will focus on rescuing retirement with Blackstone's Executive Vice Chairman Tony James, who has a practical, doable solution. Meanwhile, in our exclusive extra feature on Welltrek.com, Rob Amadeo, an avid student of leadership, shares his current book recommendations on that topic. As always, we welcome your thoughts on any topic, so please reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.